Welcome to the Growth Equation Podcast. We're your hosts, Brad Stahlberg and Steve Magnus. Brad, what's going on, my man? I am doing pretty well this morning. Had a nice walk outside with Ananda, the German Shepherd, and am talking to you today about one of my favorite topics, which is striving in motivation. You know, it's always a good day when we get to talk about something that we enjoy, which is motivation. And this one won't be a rant. It will go deep on the topic. So I'm, I'm, um, I'm excited about that. But before we get to this week's topic, what about what we're doing on the Patreon group? Yeah, let's, let's, let's talk about the Patreon group. So as y'all know, this podcast is ad-free. It is 100% member funded. We don't want to interrupt the episodes to read ads, and we're often not very impressed by the kinds of companies that are pitching us their silver bullets and magic fixes, because generally they don't really work. Uh, What does work is community and doing the simple stuff that's not easy and staying on the path. And that is what our Patreon group is all about. So for as little as $5 a month, cheaper than a ice shaken espresso at Starbucks, which is a fine drink, you can join our Patreon group and get membership to our monthly book club with best-selling authors where they join us live on Zoom, quarterly mastermind groups, exclusive guides to the building blocks of sustainable excellence and resilience, and so much more, including a Discord channel that our COO, Chris, is working on building out right now. So where do you do all this? You go to www.patreon.com slash the growth equation. You can learn more about everything I just said there. Support the show. It's a phenomenal value for you. And for us, we don't have to tell you that the show is sponsored by magic mushrooms that you put in your coffee that aren't even the real magic mushrooms because those might work. (laughs) All right. I love it. Magic mushrooms. Join the Patreon group. We won't give you magic mushrooms, but you'll get something close. Maybe Um, enlightenment. That's what we're going for. All right. So this week we wanted to talk about good motivation versus bad motivation. And the reason we, you know, we're going to talk about this is actually because of our our uh, partner here at the Growth Equation, Chris Douglas, who was like, "Hey, you guys should talk about motivation because this Elizabeth Holmes stuff in the news is going nuts, and she's the perfect example." And for those who have been living under a rock and don't know Elizabeth Holmes. She essentially founded Theranos, which was this company that was supposed to change the world. She tried to mimic Steve Jobs. Her company was going to do blood tests with finger pricks, all this good stuff. But what ended up happening was it was all essentially a big fraud. And then a couple weeks ago, she was uh, committed on four charges found guilty on four charges of defrauding investors because her blood testing analysis was essentially a sham that didn't work and holmes's story is interesting because you know she started out wanting to do good science it seems like at least based on her college experience 
and just went down this path of like obsessively trying to prove her her points or her her company and that motivation shifted towards what we'd call this kind of negative obsessive component and then the other piece that i want to highlight to kind of set the stage for why we're having this conversation is something very similar only instead of in the the entrepreneur business world in the sports world which is just a couple weeks ago as well two of the quote-unquote best players in the history of the game of baseball, Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens, did not get into the Hall of Fame. So this was their their 10th chance of getting into the Hall of Fame. In baseball, the way it works is um, longtime baseball writers vote on who is a Hall of Fame player or not. If you get over 75% of the vote within 10 years of eligibility, you get in. If you don't, you don't get in. And Bonds and Clemens, although they climbed their way up to close to that number, did not meet that mark. And Bonds and Clemens are interesting, and the reason they likely didn't get into the Hall of Fame is because they were likely steroid users, based on everything we know and the evidence that has has come out. Although they never failed a test, there's a lot of circumstantial evidence around them. And the interesting thing on Bonds, similar to Ann Clemens, similar to Elizabeth Holmes, is they started out as incredibly talented performers who, although we don't know when they started, you know, juicing, we do know that, you know, all the way back to their high school days, they were sought after uh, prospects who showed enormous potential. And then in their early M- MLB careers, they played at quote unquote Hall of Fame um, levels. But at some point, they went from Hall of Fame levels to absurd best of all time levels and later into their career, into the, uh, the, the time of their career where most athletes are are kind of falling apart and hanging on. They were Uh, breaking records and doing crazy things. And what struck me is in response, Roger Clemens put out a Instagram post statement that said a lot of things, said that he didn't care, but also said that he did things the right way. And this is a man who never admitted or came clean on, on potential steroid use. But anyways, Those two stories, one from sport, one from business, set the stage because obviously Holmes was smart, Clemens Bond's talented, they were all motivated to perform at a high level, but their motivation turned into obsession and pushed them to not be satisfied with, hey, I'm great, but to go over to the dark side and and cheat, defraud, all of that good stuff. All right, let's make this really simple for listeners. Good motivation and bad motivation. Good motivation has a texture of lightness and curiosity and expansiveness, and you're doing something because of an inner drive that helps you enjoy that thing. And while you may care about the results, you genuinely like doing the thing. Bad motivation. You want the external validation, the self-worth, 
the cookie, the metal, the IPO that represents in your mind that you've quote unquote made it. Two extremes, nirvana, good motivation, zero care about anything external, total obsession, Lance Armstrong, Elizabeth Holmes, Barry Bonds, bad motivation, only care about the external and will do anything to get there. In between those two is an enormous ocean where most of us exist. And depending on the context and the activity and where we are in our life, sometimes we're more good motivation, sometimes we're more bad motivation. Again, outside of monks and Lance Armstrong and Elizabeth Holmes, very rarely do people exist squarely on one side or the other. So what we want to do today is talk about that middle ground and give you the tools to make sure that most of the time for most things, your motivation is good. And for two important reasons. The first, we don't want you to cheat, to engage in fraud, to do things that are morally wrong. The second, even if you don't cheat, engage in fraud, or do things that are morally wrong, bad motivation doesn't feel good. It leads to a lot of angst and restlessness. I've never cheated or done things that are morally wrong, but I've felt bad motivation, and I don't like it, and I try to make sure that I can be aware of it and use the practices that we'll talk about today based on the evidence to make that motivation good. So this isn't just about thinking that you're going to do the equivalent of performance-enhancing drugs or massive fraud. This is also about trying to feel better as you're striving. I, I love it. So I'm pretty good when I'm on topic, when we you, don't rant. You you are. You know, maybe we should just never just stay rant. on topic. Um, I want to, you know, there was this quote. This was on, on Barry Bonds, but this this quote from former Major League player Doug Glanville, uh, who made the case essentially why Bonds shouldn't be in the Hall of Fame. But he had this wonderful quote that sums up that bad motivation that you just talked about. And here's his quote. Apologists couch it in competitive spirit or a relentless will to win. But in the end, it was just an egomaniacal avarice unleashed to compensate for the same insecurity that every major league player feels. Yes, and it's the same insecurity that we all feel. And... Earlier, you said that we'll never know when Clemens and Bond started doping. My hypothesis is that it was when aging started to impact their performance. And we're all going to experience that in various domains of our life. And man, if you are attached to a certain outcome, a certain level of external performance, you are going to be in for a rude awakening. Again, I sound like a broken record. Even if you don't cheat or engage in a fraud, the amount of tension that you'll feel from not being able to let go is going to be very high. And this is the core teaching of the perennial wisdom traditions, both East Buddhism and West Stoicism, which is things are impermanent, things change. And if you hold on too tightly, when those things change, you suffer. And I think in many cases, 
The change can be something internal, like aging for an athlete, or external, the market doesn't like your product, so on and so forth. And if you can't see clearly and accept that impermanence, then you suffer, and sometimes you cause others to suffer. So what can we do to both be really motivated, want to achieve external results, but also accept our limits, accept change, and feel a little bit lighter as we strive? And that is the question, again, that we are going to dive into. So I'm going to start. I think the, the, the number one thing for me is really the importance of your surroundings and your environment. And that can be both physical things, but also people that you surround yourself in psychological things. So if I want to make my motivation as an author, the bad variety, I will always be having my sales tracking record up. I will be spending a lot of time on Twitter. I will be comparing to other people. And even if I do all the mindfulness meditation practice and letting go, I will still likely struggle with a lot of bad motivation because I am in a candy shop. And when you're in a candy shop, it's hard not to eat candy. Whereas if you can try to create an environment where the main focus is the work itself, then that primes you for the good motivation. I thought that the author Johan Harari said this really well recently on a podcast about his new book on focus that said that in many cases, the world is like pouring itching cream all over you all the time, that itching cream being to check and compare and then saying, oh, go meditate for 10 minutes and you'll be at peace. No, you need to get rid of the itching cream. So I think a big important practice here is to identify these proverbial itching creams in our own lives that we pour on ourselves, that we become addicted to, that all push us in that direction of comparison with prior versions of ourselves, with other people, with some kind of ranking, and try to make that a smaller part of our time and energy and a bigger part being the work itself. I'm always so much happier when I'm just reading books, writing, and coaching than when I'm promoting a book, spending time on social media, having sales calls, so on and so forth. Yeah, no, I think you're spot on there. Um, one of the ways I would, you know, you mentioned surrounding yourself. I think your environment pushes and pulls you in directions that you're not aware of. And I think who you surround yourself matters a whole lot more than we give it credit for. Because like those voices become your your comparison point. They become your inner narrative. And when I say who we surround ourselves, I'm not just talking about, you know, your friends, your family, your coworkers, but also like the voices we kind of lit in on social media or by what we watch or news we consume, all that stuff. Like, I like to think of it as, <laughs> you know, I'm giving a little bit of power and attention to ever I lit in my mind. And if I lit in, you know, enough people who shout this thing, then my mind's going to think like, oh, this is good. Even if I know rationally, it might not be. So 
being very aware. The other thing that I, I think you pointed out um, that is incredibly important is we're all human beings. Like we're all going to succumb to these like status or comparison games. It's just part of being human. It's part of, you know, the suffering of, of life. I think the key is, especially when it comes to motivation, is not resisting that necessarily, but setting your life up so that you can manage it as best you can. And then diversify your sources of meaning or your sources or different games that you play so that you aren't intertwined, cemented, whatever, on one single source of meaning or one game that you play. So the way I like to think of this is you you can love something, but you shouldn't marry it. Unless it's your partner. Yeah, unless it's your partner. That's obvious. In which case, it depends. Yeah, but... The, I I like thinking this of this in like sports or your pursuits because think of it as is if you're Barry Bonds pursuing baseball, you should absolutely you know if you love the game that's fantastic, but if the game is all you have, then any threat to your ability to play that game, any threat to your self worth tied to that game makes you incredibly vulnerable. And when we're when we're humans under threat, what do we do? We survive. So you mentioned like aging. Aging is a threat to being able to perform at something let's say you're married to. If it if it's that that important playing that game and your performance is declining and your self-worth is going with it, like you get desperate and you do things like up oh, what can I do to maintain this? If instead you have defer, you've diversified your sources of meaning or the different games you're playing, and you sit there and say, you know what, my performance is going in the wrong direction, but maybe even in this area of game, I'm going to increase like my mentorship of players or my my being a player coach, you know, while I'm going through this to help the next generation, help my teen teammates do better. And then outside of, you know, your sport or your pursuit, like having other sources of meaning or self-worth, maybe as a family man or pursuing different hobbies or volunteering or for a cause that has deep, you know, importance or meaning to, towards you, like something else in your life that allows you to become a little more robust just in case you live, you know, the main thing gets threatened or pushes you towards this threat uncertainty state. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't necessarily mean to be like balanced because it's something that we wrote about in the passion paradox that balance is often an illusion for highly motivated people. But it does mean to have if not balance in your activities, some balance in your identity. And those are very different things. So another way to think about this is the value of having some kind of spiritual grounding or philosophy of life or set of core values that regardless of what 
finite game you're playing, so a game where there's a winner and a loser and you're trying to be the best, it's situated in some kind of infinite game. And the infinite game is, hey, I'm going to live my life as a Christian Jew, Muslim, Buddhist, or my core values are mastery, health, authenticity, and I'm going to live in alignment with those values, whatever finite game I'm playing. Or my philosophy of life is stoicism, and I'm going to frame everything in that. I think that too is really helpful because it allows you to still play those finite games really, really hard and to go all in. But you know that they're just a part of this broader thing, which is ultimately whatever way you want to couch it, your life. And the only real endpoint is when you die, if, at least if you believe that to be the case. So it's like, how can you build the best life? How can you ground your life in something broader than any of these momentary games? And then instead of becoming 100%, maybe the momentary games become 95%. And it still hurts and it still sucks when things don't go your way, but you have that 5% to hold on to that prevents it from sucking for too long, prevents you from cheating, other immoral behaviors, so on and so forth. So I do think it is so important to have space between the thing and you. And if you find that space through diversifying what you do a bit, that's great. If you find that space through situating the thing in some broader philosophy of life, that's great too. The thing just can't be the only thing. If you are Barry Bonds home run hitter, that is a problem. If you are Barry Bonds the stoic or Barry Bonds the person that values mastery, it gives you a lot more flexibility when the home runs aren't accumulating at the pace that you want them to. Yeah, you know, it really is when it comes to identity, it's like balancing out this security that you feel comfortable in understanding who you are and you have this cohesive story, but also complementing that with flexibility, meaning you have the space to pivot, to go different directions. You're not locked in. You're not cemented. And, and what you're trying to do in life is create that, that security plus flexibility so that you can navigate you know, the, the challenges um, that life might present to you. Because uh, so much of this is, is pretty simple. It's we have this these deep needs to feel competent, to have some self-worth, to you know have a coherent story from beginning to end, to have that cohesiveness in, in our in our um, our sense of self. And you know life's kind of challenges present threats to those things. And your job or your goal is to make sure that you can, kind of resist those challenge or handle those challenges. And often what happens is we double down and to deal with that uncertainty or those threats, we double down in cement where instead we should get this security, but also this flexibility to move and, and shift as we need to. Yeah. So we've got environment and is your environment promoting good motivation or bad motivation? We've got diversifying your sense of identity a bit, and we've got separating the finite game, the thing that you're trying really hard to win and lose in from the infinite game, which is like this 
broader thing that is basically your life and not having those two fuse so tightly that they're inseparable. What else comes to mind, Steve, for you in terms of how to keep motivation um, tilted towards the good side? I think on a smaller scale, it's being very aware of what you um, give attention and value to. Because like those things will slowly shift uh, your motivation over time. Yeah, it's a very like behavioralist approach, which is like, don't try to think or feel yourself into good motivation. Just start acting the way that someone with good motivation would act. And then the thinking and feeling will follow. Yeah, it, 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 exactly. And I think, you know, I think this 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 topic is is very tricky. And I think what often happens is it's just like, you know, Barry Bonds or Elizabeth Holmes. No one sets out to cheat or do things, quote unquote, the wrong way. But it's these like subtle pulls over time um, where that bad motivation kind of takes control and slowly take takes over and and before you know it you look up and you're just like holy crap i'm cheating or whatever whatever it is so like to me how do we deal with that well you've got to set yourself your life up so that you have these kind of reminders or roadblocks or whatever to keep you in in check and we talked a little bit about that environment um, we talked about that a little in, in creating space, but to me, it's it's checking in every once in a while and being like, okay, what am I giving my attention and, and, and value to? And I'll give the writer example. If I'm constantly checking my sales report or my Amazon rank or whatever have you, if that's not, you know, for a very short period of time, maybe around launch week, that's that's a big problem, right? That's a maybe not it can be a big problem. That should be a sign that you're starting to shift motivation because your attention is going in this direction all the time. If you're constantly checking or comparing on Twitter or checking your stats or your sales rank or whatever have you, like if you're giving things that are entirely outcome externally focused attention all the time, that should be a red flag that, Hey, I need to realign and step back instead of like keeping, you know, going down this path. Yep. And, and that is like channeling your awareness of what you're doing with then the behavior to help correct the underlying feeling or underlying sense of motivation of striving. And, um, you know, that, that, that goes all the way back to one of the, the big principles of Buddhism, which is this, this notion of right effort, which is basically in layperson's terms, applying energy and drive towards wholesome states and not applying energy and drive towards unwholesome states. It's that simple. So while what in the Buddhist time they might call a wholesome state or an unwholesome state, we're calling good motivation or bad motivation. And you can have energy behind both of those things. It's totally human and normal too. It's just about being aware 
where that energy is going, which path. And then if it's going down the wrong path, start taking actions to course correct it toward the right path. And then I also think um, something that is is top of mind for me right now, because I just finished reading Dan Pink's new book on regret, uh, which will be a book that is a growth, um, growth equation Patreon book club book. Dan Pink will be joining us to talk about his book next month. But anyways, he talks a lot about how we often um, look back, but regret can also help us by looking forward. So in the moment that you're about to inject yourself with the performance enhancing drugs or engage in extramarital activity or cheat on a test, if you can just catch yourself and pause and think about how you'll feel the next day, that often is enough to stop you from doing that thing in the moment. Because as I said in opening, bad motivation doesn't feel good. So if you can separate that like urge in the moment from what it's actually going to feel like when you have to live with it, then it, you're much less likely to do the thing. So it's almost like a um, like a imagining the regret that you'll feel as Dan Pink writes, and then hopefully that guides you to take the right action in the moment. Hmm. I, I like that, which is also it, it ties a little bit to the concept of creating psychological distance, right? Yes, because in in that regard, you're looking at how kind of future you will handle things, which is one way to create distance. You can also do the same by asking the question like, what advice would your friend, your best friend give you on this? Or what would, you know, your spouse say about about this action? Things that can create psychological distance that allows you to see things and have perspective often can be these kind of um, check markers or checkpoints to make sure that you're not just like rationalizing in the moment and not thinking about maybe the long-term consequences or thinking about, you know, how these things or these actions actually align with your true values. Yes. And this also gets back to the environment thing, which is don't put yourself in the environment where you're about to sleep with the colleague or inject the steroid in your arm. If you're at a conference and you sense yourself flirting with someone, probably not best to go to the bar and have six drinks with her. If you're in a sporting organization and everyone is using steroids and you sense something is wrong, probably best to leave that locker room and join another sporting organization. So... I do think that like it's this interplay of awareness, but then also getting upstream of the action that works in service of bad motivation. And I'm giving extreme examples on a much more minor sale. This is like if constantly checking notifications on your phone makes you want to do things so other people like you, take the app off your phone. Like we don't have to pour the itching oil all over us all the time. And I think that what often happens is people with a false sense of security put themselves in situations that no human could possibly do the right thing in because they're so arrogant and they think they can do the right thing and then they don't. And I think there's a lot of projection here with like, oh, I would never, ever, ever 
um, cheat, or I would never lie, or I would never engage in fraud, or I would never engage in extramarital sexual activity because I'm so pure and pristine and perfect. And those are always the people that end up fucking up. And I think it's because they have this delusion that they're somehow beyond human instead of accepting that like desire and vice is woven into all of us. And what we can do because we are highly evolved is we can know this about ourselves and then not put ourselves in dumb situations. Um, so I really, I, I come back to that first principle of environment because I think depending on how you define it, 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 it it's very powerful and it touches on a lot of things. It's probably the most, most important thing. And as someone who's been in said environments, I, I can tell you, you know, firsthand knowledge, like you're spot on. The like, oh, these are my values. This is what I would do, blah, blah, blah. Like, that's all bullshit. If the environment is like strongly pulling you in the other direction, and especially when there's like power dynamics and all that stuff at stake, like very, there are very, 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 very few people who could resist in the wrong environment. If right. you're and, yes. And I and I see this all the time with like um very powerful people and what gets reported is always like the juicy stuff of like fraud or, or cheating both in business and in, in, in relationships. And it's like, if you tell yourself that I would never, ever, ever cheat on my wife under any circumstance, you're probably going to end up cheating on your wife. Whereas if you're like, I'm a human, I'm failable, but I value this relationship. So I'm not going to put myself in dumb environments. You won't cheat on your life. But I feel like people need to have like this righteousness of being above bad motivation in all cases. And then they get bitten in the ass by it instead of recognizing like one's own failability and then not going down that road. It's like, could I go down the road of fraud and book sales? Absolutely. And I know that about myself. So I don't put myself in environments where that would ever happen. Whereas if I said, oh, I would never do that because I'm higher than thou, then that actually increases the chances that you would do it. So I think that that's something to to be wary of. We're not asking you to be morally pure or righteous. We're actually asking you to acknowledge your failures and be aware of them. And then in turn, that's what gives you the best chance to keep your motivation on the right track. Yes, it's that self-awareness. And the example that came to my mind when you're talking about that is all the, um, the various scandals of big name pastors or preachers who have all the motivation in the world to not cheat on their spouse, because not only does it not align with their values, but it is against like the thing that matters most in their life, their religious belief and calling. And, you know, adultery is this huge sin and all this stuff. So they have all the motivation in the world not to succumb to that and spend their time, you know, studying in good faith, hopefully, the the values that come with that and yet some still do why because like we're human beings <laughs> and that's not to excuse like the actions at all but it's to remind you that like if you sit here and be like no i'm this morally pure person or i would never do this all you're doing is setting yourself up for failure yeah because like you need to acknowledge the reality that hey this could be a possibility so I need to make sure because it might be a very, very slim possibility, but it's still one. But because you acknowledge that it might be a slim possibility, you don't put yourself in those situations, right? 
you put safeguards up, you know, even minor ones that allow you to not, you know, be in that environment to go down that path. And hopefully there's a middle ground here and you're not as weak as Mike Pence, who famously said that he can't go out to dinner with people of the opposite sex unless his wife is there. So there is a middle ground here. (laughs) Um, But, you know, hell, maybe for Mike Pence, that's the strategy that he needs. And if it is, like, very rarely will I say something good about Mike Pence. I'm not sure how he got to that position, but at least he knows himself. Um, (laughs) Yeah. So, all right. In all seriousness, um, I think that this is probably getting close to a good place to, to wrap up. I think that the the big concepts to take away from this is there is both good motivation and bad motivation. Everybody is capable of both. We generally are not on either extreme, but somewhere in the middle. The goal is to keep most of the motivation most of the time on the good side. We do that by thinking about what our environment is promoting. We do that by diversifying our identity. We do that by having some kind of infinite game, whether it's a spiritual practice or philosophy of life or set of core values or community that we're in that is broader than the thing that we're trying to win or lose at. And then we also do it by awareness, self-distancing, whether it's forecasting the regret that we'll feel or going back and thinking about other people that might have done something similar and how we feel about them. And ultimately, this all comes back to realizing our own failabilities as humans, not running away from that, not pretending it's not there. And once we realize it, then we're empowered to design our lives and our environment to foster the good motivation. And whether that means taking your dashboard off your phone so you're not seeing your sales report every day, or whether that means... um, changing the organization that you're in because the culture in the locker room is going in the wrong direction or something in between. Uh, that's what that's all about. I think you're spot on. So hopefully listeners, you enjoyed this, this dive into good motivation versus bad motivation. We write about it a lot in terms of motivation, passion, all those good things. Um, we hit the point where we we started to go down the Mike Pence rant, but Brad pulled out of it because, you know, he's got the self-awareness this, this week. If you enjoy our work, please share it. If you really enjoy it, join the Patreon group. Yeah, I, we promise we'll, we'll provide a lot of value. You'll get to uh, listen to authors. You'll get to hear, you know, <laughs> Dan Pink on his latest book on regret. So join the club and let's keep the good motivation going and minimize the bad motivation as best we can. And you know what? We're going to do one last thing here. It's off script, but there is no script. So it's all off script. We're going to make Chris Douglas, the COO of the Growth EQ, very happy. So y'all know we've got two books, The Practice of Groundedness and Peak Performance, Y'all might know that Steve's got a book coming out in June all about toughness. Some of you probably don't know that there's another book. It's called The Passion Paradox. It came out almost three years ago, and it's done fine, but it hasn't done as well as the other books. And 
there's many hypotheses for that. One is the title. Who wants to read about a paradox? Are we talking about passion love? Are we talking about passion religion? What the hell are we talking about? So we didn't title that book great, but it's a good book. It's Chris's favorite book. And guess what it wrestles with? Good motivation versus bad motivation. The reason we're not calling this podcast that you just listened to the passion paradox is because we have a data point that apparently that's not very interesting. But if you're interested in good motivation versus bad motivation and you haven't yet, The Passion Paradox is a tight book. It's only like 170 pages, and it is a deep dive on this topic. We predicted that Barry Bonds wouldn't be in the Hall of Fame. We talked about Elizabeth Holmes fraud. It's all in there. So you don't have to read it for us. We're probably never going to earn our advance back on that book, but Chris wants you to read it. So read it for Chris, and you can call him up and discuss it with him on the Patreon Discord. Thanks for listening to the Growth Equation podcast. Learn more about our work and find show notes at our website, www.thegrowtheq.com. Follow us on Twitter, at B. Stahlberg and at Steve Magnus. And if you like what you listen to, please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast, as this goes a long way in helping it reach others.